Turn your Bibles to Proverbs. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand and one of our ushers in the back will bring you a Bible. I think it might take them uh, 30 seconds or so. Just keep your hand up. Um, Turn to Proverbs. If you are new to the Bible, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And uh, it is found right in the middle of the Bible. And uh, if you open up straight to the middle, you'll probably find either Psalms or you will find Proverbs. We need a Bible in the back here, Kenny. Proverbs chapter 1, we are going to finish up the chapter today, starting with verse 20. Go ahead and let me uh, uh, read this, and I ask you to follow along in your Bibles as I read. Verse 20, chapter 1. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the head of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you have refused to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will also then laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call out to me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. And they shall have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this chapter. Father, we are coming into something that is difficult into words that are beyond our comprehension. A mere intellect cannot comprehend or fathom the riches that are contained in these words. And so we ask that Your Spirit sweeps through us, is among us, and helps us understand Your Word. Apply it to us this morning. Keep us from disaster. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. She cries out in the streets. This isn't your everyday street preacher with their moralistic agenda. This isn't the angry protester in front of a factory. Yet she's crying out in the streets as a passionate, long-lost friend of yours who clearly concerns about your well-being and is worried that you are heading toward your own ruin. She's more like Hosea, who after his wife had cheated on him over and over and over, God said, Hosea, now I want, to take, I want you to take this message to my people. This is how I feel. 
when my people cheat on me and run off to other gods. And so there's Hosea with this passion and with this care for his brothers and for his sisters and for his friends. She's more like Jeremiah who has seen the pending doom and the actual disaster that sin brings upon itself who is preaching out, crying in the streets. Her name is Wisdom. Here in verse 20, we see where she is crying. It says she cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. So not just out there where everybody's walking, but she also goes inside of the buildings where the, where the buying and the selling and the advertising takes place. She's not just on the streets, but it says she is at the head of the noisy streets as she cries out, meaning she's there at the front where everybody can hear her crying out if there is one who might hear. And then it says, and she is at the entrance of the city gates. There she is speaking. This is where the uh, uh, conversations among philosophers would take place. This is where politics would be discussed. This is where everybody's going in and out of the, the city. The point here is this. Wisdom is crying out passionately to all people everywhere. Meaning, not just to a select few. Wisdom is not just crying out to the old, not just crying out to the already wise, but crying out to the fools crying out to the young. Wisdom is not crying out to the academically trained only, but she is also crying out to the dropouts. Wisdom is crying out everywhere, so you don't have to travel around the world like the Beatles did in 1968 to try to hear the voice of God, all right? To try to find a guru, all right? So when, when wisdom sees the Beatles get on a plane and they fly to meet with some guru to learn about transcendental uh, meditation, wisdom says, well, that was dumb. That was a waste of plane tickets because I was trying to talk to you while you were in Liverpool. All right? Wisdom is everywhere. You don't have to go to a building with a steeple, a church gathering. You don't have to go to a guru or to a monastery. Wisdom is crying out on McCullough Street, running up and down Bolton Street, asking, is there someone who would listen? Wisdom is crying out on Pennsylvania Avenue. Is there someone who would hear my voice? It says going in the market. So she's, she's not just on the streets, but she's going inside of Boost Mobile and the dollar store and H&M and then across the hallway to Urban Outfitters. She's in Bank of America crying out, is there someone here in all of this buying and selling, in all of this advertisement who will listen? She's in culture. She's crying out to the nobodies and she's also crying out to those who are famous, those who are creating culture. Wisdom is crying out to Miley Cyrus. Wisdom is crying out to LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Wisdom is, wisdom is crying out to those on Capitol Hill. Those who are leaders. Those who are shaping culture. Wisdom is in the hallways of every school walking up and down saying, will anybody here listen to me? Crying out at City Hall. 
And from City Hall, she's crying out on the playground inside pedestal gardens. Will anyone listen to me? On your day off, wisdom is crying out to you, asking you to listen. She's crying out to you as you stare at your computer screen and your tablet. Now let's ask a good question here. Why is wisdom so obnoxious? Doesn't she sound obnoxious? I mean, people in Baltimore get locked up for this kind of behavior. There's a guy that walks up and down the streets crying out like a prophet, and I just saw him getting locked up at the Royal Farms down by the new casino the other day, all right? People get locked up for this kind of behavior in Baltimore City. Why is wisdom so obnoxious? Listen, one of two realities is true. Either wisdom is a lunatic, a fool, lost her mind, and she needs to be arrested, or this person has something to say. There is real pending doom and disaster if we don't listen to what this person has to say. Listen, so much of life falls between the cracks of, what we, of, of, of right and wrong. Of just simply trying to figure out, is this sin or is this not sin? Of just simply saying, can I or can't I do this and be okay with God? So much of life falls through those cracks. Wisdom is what comes around all of that life and speaks to it. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. A friend of mine asked me a question. I asked him if it was okay to share this, and he said it's fine, so this is okay for me to share this. A friend of mine asked me a question. He said, he said Joel, uh, there's some certain, certain, certain circumstances uh, in play here. Joel, is it okay if my girlfriend stays the night just for tonight? I don't think anything's going to happen. Um, there's, an, there's a thing happening. It's going to be late. Is it, okay, is, it, is it a sin if she stays the night? How would you answer that? How would you? Because if, if, we, if we're just simply saying uh, clear, like, law, right and wrong, how, how do we answer that? Well, some of you might say, well, it is definitely a sin if girlfriend stays the night at boyfriend's house. All right? Well, let me, let me change the, the situation for you. What if uh, the terrorists have struck Baltimore? and the girlfriend was visiting boyfriend's house, and now the streets are on lockdown, and there's people walking around with machetes, and girlfriend should not leave the house. Is it now a sin for her, for her to stay the night at boyfriend's house? You see, wisdom is what we need to answer these questions. Clear right-wrong law doesn't help us there. So wisdom is crying out in all of, the, all of life, like all of these situations and all of these realities. Uh, uh, is it okay to stay the night at my boyfriend's house? Uh, should I or should I not, not buy this car that I don't really need? Uh, should I marry this girl? Should I linger on this website? Should I click this advertisement? You see, these... these questions that we face the majority of our life fall through the cracks of clear right and wrong. Wisdom is crying out. 
in every situation. And here's the, here's the reality. Depending on whether you listen to or ignore wisdom is a life or death scenario. See, I used to think of wisdom as sort of uh, a side item, like the barbecue on my uh, pulled pork sandwich. All right? Pulled pork sandwich. Pretty good by itself. But you take some sweet, tangy barbecue sauce and pour it on that bad boy and you have yourself a fine sandwich. A very good sandwich. And see, I used to think of wisdom like the barbecue sauce. So here's my life. Like overall, I've got things squared away. Living life. Ah, we should pray for wisdom. Okay, let's pray for some barbecue sauce. Let's pray for that little extra bit of sweet tangy to add to my life so that now my life would really be sweet and good. Listen, Jesus does not want to be your barbecue sauce. Jesus doesn't want to be the side. As a matter of fact, the call to wisdom here is the call to Christ. And the call to Christ says that the sandwich you have been eating is nutritionless. Sure, it might taste fine. And you can try to use me to make it taste a little better, but there's nothing there. It's a mere filler that's doing nothing for you. Jesus wants you to move from that to a whole new meal. This is the call to wisdom. The call to wisdom is a, is a call to a new life. And if we ignore wisdom's voice, we will find disaster. Now, let's be straight up. If you are anything like me, you are a sinner. Any sinners in the house? All right. About 70% sinner here. If you are a sinner, then that means that you probably have not always listened to the voice of wisdom perfectly, have you? And if you have not listened to the voice of wisdom repeatedly, if we've ignored wisdom over and over and over, you probably have found some disaster in your life. If you have made a mess of your life, if you have ruined your life, well, this sermon is for you. This is a sermon for those who have found disaster. Or this is a sermon for those who might ruin their life someday. So if you might ruin your life someday, keep this sermon in mind. There are three things that you need to know and remember if you have ruined your life, if you have found any part of your life in disaster. Three things from this passage. Number one, you need to know how you got here. Number two, you need to know whose fault it is. And number three, you need to know what to do about it. Right? So here we go. Number one, how you got here. We see there in verses 22 and 23. That wisdom is for you. 
Meaning, as wisdom is passionately crying out, she's not a lunatic, she's not a moralistic, angry protester. Wisdom is actually for you. She is crying out for your best interest, for your benefit. She wants the best for your life. Now, because of Ned Flanders, The Simpsons, all right, this picture of the Christian who's arrogant and who's legalistic and who has no fun to be around and who's a hypocrite, we believe that while that's the Christian, we believe that God actually wants us to be miserable like Flanders. We often believe that God doesn't want our best, but He actually wants our misery. As a matter of fact, God wants to take a day of my week. He wants to take 10% of my income. God wants to take away my hookups and all of my fun. God is for my misery. If I do the church thing, if I give in and if I become a Christian, then my life will be miserable. Not better than my friends. God is for my misery. What we see here is, is the reverse is true. God is actually for your joy. God is actually for your happiness. One of the uh, s- girls in our house community, she's a student uh, in, uh, at, at a college, and she talks about how uh, difficult it is every day to walk into uh, her, her dorm area, lobby, and, and uh, to resist the temptation to get wasted with her friends. All right, so the shot glasses, like they're not drinking because they enjoy a fine glass of wine. They're not drinking because they enjoy a good dark microbrew. They're drinking because they want to get smashed. And they believe that getting smashed is the best life we can live. And so as our friend seeks... uh, to, to keep herself from this kind of lifestyle, she's constantly mocked and told that she is missing out on the college life. You are miserable. You're prudish. You're missing out. But friends, those of us who have been there, all right, we've seen the toxic environment that the party scene produces, we know that she's not really missing out, don't we? We know that she's not really, as a matter of fact, her friends are the ones who are missing out on, the, on a fulfilled life, on a happy, satisfied life. See, this is wisdom. Wisdom is for you and for your benefit and for your best. And this is why wisdom is so passionate. This is why she's screaming in all of the streets and all over the place. Verse 23, she says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. But I've called and you've refused to listen. I've I've called. You've refused. I've stretched out my hand and nobody has taken hold of it. You've ignored all of my counsel. And then verse 29, look at verse 29. It's striking. It says, because you hated knowledge and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. 
Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, say it, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is that, that awe-inspiring, gut-wrenching, lump-in-your-throat, uh, gazing upon from the refuge that God has created, gazing upon the holiness and beauty and magnificence and uh, transcendence and judgment and uh, holiness of, of God. That's the fear of the Lord. But you have ignored wisdom, therefore you have rejected the fear of the Lord and you have jumped in to that dark sea. And now it's no longer beautiful, but it's dangerous. And out there on your own self-ambition, you're drowning. Destruction comes in one of two ways in your life. One, destruction comes when your dreams are destroyed. You had a dream of a lifelong marriage destroyed by an affair. You had a dream of spiritual leadership and one unwise decision to the next led you to jump into the pit of sin, and you are now disqualified. You had a dream of being generous, yet you have been surrounded by greed. Destruction can come to your dreams in a thousand different ways when we ignore wisdom. But let's be clear. The second way destruction comes is this. Destruction comes when you fulfill your dreams. Destruction actually more often than not comes when your dreams are realized. Ruin comes to you, not just in the way that it came to uh, Forrest Gump's Lieutenant Dan on New Year's Eve. Remember that picture? All right, no legs, wheelchair, long hair, drunk, yelling in front of a taxi. Destruction doesn't always look like that. Destruction more often than not comes when we actually succeed in our dreams, when we achieve what we wanted to achieve. You might remember last Sunday I talked about uh, the Hollywood insider who is depressed by all that she sees in Hollywood. Well, let me, tell you, let, let me read to you what she actually said. She said this, I pity celebrities. No, I do. The minute a person becomes a celebrity is the minute he or she becomes a monster. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, and Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now they have become supreme beings. And their wrath is awful. It's not what they had in mind. The night each of them became famous, they wanted to shriek with joy. Finally. But the morning after, they wanted to overdose. All their fantasies had been realized. Yet the reality was still the same. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now. Because the giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing, that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, that had happened. And nothing changed 
they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. Listen, your destruction would most likely come when your dreams are achieved. And you find that inside you are still the same person. You have the same hurts, the same problems. I was looking at a picture of a certain celebrity's mansion earlier this week. And I mean, this pool was amazing, just wrapped, kind of wrapped around the house, this expensive tile work all around the pool, up to the back of the house with this sort of outdoor room that was created. You know how they have these little chairs and decor that is amazing and this grill. You should have seen this grill right in the center of it all. And as I'm staring at this, I actually caught myself like imagining what would it be like if I had that? How happy would I be? You didn't have to worry about money, and, and I had this. And then, I'm literally like this, there was this split second of depression that swept over me. As I consider, as I imagine myself there, yet on the inside, still the same. Nothing's changed. You see, we believe that when we accomplish our dreams, we will find salvation. And we get there. But it's what's inside that has been, been the problem the entire time. And you find yourself in misery then, in ruin, on drugs... Because you can't change what's in here with the change of what happens out there. Destruction comes to the rich and to the poor, to the Hollywood star and to Forrest Gump's Lieutenant Dan. Across the board, when we ignore wisdom, So whose fault is it? Let's ask that question now. Whose fault is it? Now, nobody likes to be told you brought this on yourself. How many people like to hear that? You find yourself in disaster, and then I, you call me up, Joel, I need, I, need some, I need somebody to talk to, I need some counsel, and I sit down with you, and we're sitting across my desk, and I, sit, and I lean in, and I say, you know, you brought this on yourself. Helpful. This is essentially what wisdom is saying here. Let me actually, before I go there, let me illustrate this. When I was a child, we, uh, we had, I lived in Ohio, and we had apple trees in our acre of yard. And every Saturday in, in the fall, me and my three brothers and sister, my parents, we'd have to go out into this, uh, like, bee-infested apple tree mess apples just rotting across the ground and we had to clean the apples up off of the ground there's nothing that i have enjoyed less before or since than cleaning up rotten apples 
with bees in them, all right? So we're out there one Saturday, and my, my, I am supposed to be raking and putting apples into a uh, wheelbarrow with my brother, my older brother. But I decide that I want to climb a tree, all right? And my older brother, he was like so good to me growing up. So he, he, he just looked at me, didn't say anything, just whatever. I'll just do, I'll, I'll do both. I'll do your, do your work. I'll rake it up, and I'll put it into the wheelbarrow. Go ahead. You got to do what you got to do. So I'm, I'm climbing this tree, and I'm, I'm up now in this tree, all right? And I believe that I have arrived at happiness because there I am enjoying the breeze of autumn, watching my five family members do the most miserable work you can imagine. And then I, I, then I think to myself, you know, I'm going to take this a little bit further. There's actually nothing I can imagine uh, that I would like more than to jump out and grab onto that branch right there and just swing a little bit. And so I leap from the tree and I grab two, two hands onto this dead branch. All right? It was a mirage. <laughs> like it wasn't, I swear it wasn't even there. And as, actually it was there for about two and a half seconds until my feet were perpendicular with my body, all right? And then I dropped as the branch broke and I fell onto my back, bit my tongue in half. My head was like this far away from a cinder block. I brought it, up, I brought it upon myself, didn't I? That was my own darn fault because I should have been helping my brother. Look at what wisdom says. <clears throat> Look at verse 31. Actually, let's back up. Look at verse 26. I will also laugh at your calamity, she says. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. Now, hold up. Why is wisdom laughing at us now? Wisdom here is there I am on my back, tongue, bit in half, you know, the mess in, in apples, and wisdom is laughing and mocking, she says. Why is wisdom laughing and mocking? Because these are some serious issues. Calamity. Like heavy misfortune. Overwhelming sorrow. Terror. It says terror comes like a storm and Calamity comes upon you like a whirlwind and wisdom is laughing at me. Because I am the fool. Because I am the fool. I am the scoffer. And then we see in verse 28 the, the reason why wisdom is mocking and probably the most haunting words in the whole passage. Look at it in your Bibles. It says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not listen. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Some people act like a fool their entire lives. And then they find themselves feeling the, the tight, cold handcuffs sitting inside of a paddy wagon, and that's when they decide to cry out for wisdom. 
Some people act like a fool in their marriage their entire lives, flirting and playing and looking and watching. And then they find themselves in an adulterous relationship and they're enjoying it. And then their wife says, I'm done. And that's when they cry out for wisdom. And wisdom says, I'm nowhere to be found. We see here, guys, it's not the active judgment of God, a.k.a. uh, hell, eternal punishment. This is the passive judgment of God in which wisdom simply lets you have what you want and she quietly slips away. You don't hear her voice anymore. You don't hear her shouting. You don't hear her crying out. But wisdom has gone home. And she has let you have what you want. Look at verse 31. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way. They shall have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. See, wisdom here is not presented as as one who has a fist and is ready to pound anybody in the head who doesn't listen. Wisdom here is passive in her judgment. Wisdom, when you continue to ignore her, she just simply slips away and you find yourself in disaster and you wake up and you say, Wisdom, I need you. I need to figure something out. I need help. And wisdom is nowhere to be found. And you seek her and you can't find her and you call for her and she will not respond to you anymore. You have ignored wisdom pleading with you when it comes to your income and your expenditures and wisdom's passive judgment is letting you become consumed with your greed. You've ignored wisdom pleading with you in the area of your sexuality. And wisdom's passive judgment is letting you become consumed with your lust and your perversion and your unruly dependence on others. Wisdom, or you have ignored wisdom, pleading with you in your relationships. And wisdom's passive judgment is seen when she slips away. And you become controlled by your desire for power and your manipulation of others. She will not cry out to you forever. She's urgent. This is why she's so obnoxious in the streets. So maybe some of you have found yourself in disaster right now. Maybe there are some, maybe some areas in your life where there are, there's disaster. There's ruin. You've ignored wisdom. That's how you've gotten to where you are. It's your own fault, and you know that. That's why we don't like people telling us that, because we already know that, right? We brought this on ourselves. So what do you do about it? Where do we go from here? Look at verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. Whoever listens to me will be at ease without the dread of 
disaster. The good news for those of you who are in ruin is that this is a gospel book written not to people who are perfect, but to people who are sinful. This is a book written to fools. This is a book written for those who have found themselves in ruin. This is a book written for those who are in disaster. The good news for you is this. Wisdom is still calling your name. Wisdom is still crying out in this room right now. Verse 33, whoever listens to to wisdom, whoever listens to me, will dwell secure. Whoever listens to wisdom will be at ease without the dread of disaster. How do we listen to wisdom? Let me give you three uh, handles to grab onto. Alright, three handles. The first one is this. Embrace a Bible-saturated life. Embrace a Bible-saturated life. Listen, God did not just give us a few bullet points or a blog post or a tweet. I love you. Tweet. God. He didn't just give us an outline on how to be saved. But God gave us a thick book of all sorts of genres written by the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the hands of peasants and kings and people from all walks of life, in all situations of life, facing all of life. What you need to know to live and to operate with wisdom in this world is in this book. When we open this book and we read this book, we are hearing the voice of God. God really, not theoretically or uh, in some kind of uh, mystical version, God really speaks to you when you are reading His Word. We really hear wisdom when we read the Word. Read the Word. In the morning, when you wake up, in the evening, when you go to bed, memorize Scripture. Let it be on your lips and in your heart. Be Bible-saturated. Number two. Number two, embrace a biblical worldview. Embrace a biblical worldview. Now, what do I mean by that? A worldview is simply uh, your understanding of why we exist and the purpose of life. All right? So someone who has a, uh, I don't know, a humanistic worldview is someone who says that we exist uh, for the good of humanity. That is the ultimate goal, the good of humanity. So whatever it takes to make human life better is my worldview. What is the Christian worldview? Well, the Christian worldview says first that we are created in God's image but that through sin, there's a curse that came into this world, so we have a distorted image, yet God reached through that curse with redeeming grace through Jesus Christ and has brought to us salvation, and that there's ultimate redemption and restoration coming when Christ returns one day. A Christian worldview is seeing all of life Through that lens, this means this, you're not just a Christian on Sundays. 
So be a Christian six days a week. Seven days a week, thank you. Be a Christian seven days a week. One plus six. Embrace a Christian worldview in every decision of life. How you go about uh, your conversations, the difficult conversations with those you need to speak with. How you talk with your boss. How you interact with your children and your spouse. How you operate your, during those eight hours while you're at work. Operate with a Christian, biblically informed worldview. And then thirdly, embrace the Word who became flesh. You see, wisdom here in this passage is personified as this passionate woman who wants your best. Yet wisdom was embodied in Christ. The Word of God, John 1, became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. When we see Christ, we see all that we need. When we see Christ, we see the refuge that God has provided for us. To be uh, uh, saturated and embraced by this Word that became flesh, Jesus Christ, is to find yourself in Christ. In this refuge. This one refuge amidst the storm that God has provided. Listen, you stop leaning into your own dreams. You stop trying to find your hope in the next thing in life. But you lean and you fall into Christ. The wise person is the person who says that the hooked up life is the life in which all I have is Christ. Fall into Christ. Jesus says, Come unto Me, all who are weary and distressed and ruined and find themselves in disaster. Come unto Me, and I will give you rest. You don't need the $80,000 a year to find rest. You don't need the life of the celebrity to find rest. You need Christ. And there you find comfort. You see, the fool finds comfort in the highs and the excitements of life. But the wise find comfort in the reality that they are truly secure. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You help us become wise. Let us not ignore the voice of wisdom, but let us hear her. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.